Hey everyone, welcome to episode 83 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins. What's up Chris? I actually came very close to saying Collins Myth in that time because I was Oof. still giggling still, at my still stupid intro from last time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you definitely caught me off guard with that the last time we started recording. You really got me. <laughs> it was good though. I almost got myself here. <laughs> so we are fresh off of watching the Mythic Championship. Yes. 2019 MC1 hashtag. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Pretty good. Good stuff. Everything except for the hashtag, really good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the tournament was awesome to watch. Mm-hmm. The top eight was super stacked. <laughs> and uh, just an amazing champion. Honestly, so. yeah. I, I, you know, was kind of bummed that I had to go play in an IQ on Sunday instead of just watching that top eight. Yeah. But luckily I just rattled off two losses in a row and I could go home and watch the rest of it so beautiful perfect <laughs> yeah um, yeah could not have asked for like a better start to the mythic championship era I yep. think so uh, we'll talk about that in one second that's pretty much our main topic for today although I do want to talk about modern a little bit afterward because yeah. we're playing a lot of modern lately absolutely first let's kick things off with a keeper mall and so this is a hand that I had in the IQ, mm-hmm. and this is on the play game two against Mono Red Phoenix slash Burn. I don't know exactly what we want to call it. It's a Burn deck with Phoenix. Um, and so the hand that I've got, and I am playing the Restore Balance As Foretold deck, this hand is a Teleria West, As Foretold, Greater Gargadon, Remand, Two Opts, and a Serum Visions. Yeah. So this hand has... So this deck, I should say, is pretty much a combo deck. You're trying to resolve the combo of three cards, mm-hmm. as we're told, Gregor to Gargadon, and uh, Restore Balance. Yep. That, that combo wins in Modern, generally. So we have two of the three pieces that we need. The problem with this hand is that we only have one land, and it's a Teleria West, so it comes to play tap. Right. It's also not a red source. And the fact that the Teleria West comes into play tapped is really important because that means we cannot leverage the power of Serum Visions to help get to the second land drop. Yeah, the play pattern for this hand, since we're on the play, is going to be tapped Teleria West, go, untap, hope to draw a land, if not, opt for another land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't really afford to Serum Visions, I don't think, on turn one. No, I think you definitely, or turn two, um, yeah. I-, I think you definitely can't, though. Yeah. Yeah, turn two, yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, right. That's hilarious. really messes you up pretty yeah. bad there. Right. And, so, and I've talked about this a little bit before, mm-hmm. how tough, you know, cantrips are powerful because they find you the things you need, including if you're a little short on lands, they can do that. Once you get this extreme on being short on lands, you end up spending a lot of your energy on turning your cantrips into lands. And yeah, it dude. can often be just a gigantic tempo sink. Yeah. And the, the real bummer about having to turn opts and serum visions into lands is that in the process of doing so, whenever you brick, you brick on a random card. Mm-hmm. And that's rough because, uh, so say you opt and you look at not a land, you're going to bottom it, and then you yep. draw another card and it's going to be not a land, uh, you know, if you're bricking. And that random card that you draw could be a huge clunker. It could be, you know, another Greater Gargadon or, you know, another As Foretold. Yeah. Even in this hand, another cantrip is really bad because we have three of them can't can't cast them yeah and you know we're just not going to be able to get them out of our hand fast enough Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i definitely see all of the downsides of this hand i still think it's a keep Mm -hmm. um i think that you are likely enough to find all of you find three lands by turn four is what i would estimate and even if we're drawing clunkers uh, you know, we have our As Told and we have our Greater Gargadon, which is, you know, right. two of the pieces, which is really good. Um, and as soon as we find just that second land, we're really going to be able to do it with our cantrips mm-hmm. to find, um, uh, you know, the missing piece. Yeah. Uh, so I like this hand. It has a likelihood to brick off and lose, mm-hmm. which, you know, I always hate, especially in seven card hands. But I think that this one, the payoff is so strong for this hand uh that it, i think it's worth the keep yeah yeah I, I and i kept it um i did run into that thing i found a land with my first opt and so then i was able to immediately cast a serum visions 
but that one didn't hit any lands. So then on my third turn, I had to opt again just to find a land. Yeah. And during this process, I like I bottomed one of my restore balances because I couldn't afford to have it there because I just couldn't miss a land drop with the pressure my opponent was putting on. Sure. Um, and uh, I ended up dying because I then could not find a restore balance. So maybe yeah. it was wrong. To, maybe I should have bit the bullet and taken that restore balance draw rather than missing a land drop. I was thinking about it. But it's, if I already have my second land, mm-hmm. I think that it's fine to keep restore balance. Um, because then if you ever just like draw into it, like even a, a natural draw step could find it and you could potentially just win that turn. The, the other problem though is that you need, you're going to need to find time to suspend your Gargadon right. before you can win. And I think that the way that this happened was that like my turn three cantrip like bottomed and hit another cantrip and Mm -hmm. then that one was the one where i had to choose whether or not to keep the restore balance there and so since i wasn't suspending a gargant on that turn either um that was just putting me in a pretty deep hole yeah so you know that's exactly the 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 flaw with these sorts of hands is when you just are putting so much energy into finding the land yeah then it's hard for your deck to do the other things it's supposed to do yeah I, although I do want to entertain the fact that... Uh, what was the land that you found off of your first stopped? Was it a red source? Uh, it was a red source. So it's uh-huh. possible that... I think I would have just slammed suspend I, on I, that one. That's possible. Yeah, that might um, have been a play. I, yeah, I often find that uh, suspending a greater Gargadon early, especially in the fast matchups, mm-hmm. is generally super important because then the turn that you you know find all your pieces and need to go off you already have that thing out of the way sure and you also have more information on your remaining opts and serum visions and yep. stuff so yeah these these cantrip sequences can can definitely be really difficult yeah and i mean we talked about this all day it was de- the, this deck is extremely difficult to play it, I, it's very hard <laughs> I, I definitely yeah. took some lines that were not optimal and right um yeah but We'll talk about it a little more once we get to our modern section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Don't want to get hang up on the deck too much. Right, right now. Right. We so, got a we got a mythic championship. We got to a talk mythic about. championship to talk about. The first mythic championship, indeed. So huge congratulations to Autumn Burchett. Yes, that uh, was awesome. They played lights out. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a this MC was kind of. Uh, I, I don't even think it's like marred by by punts, but there were a <laughs> lot of big serious misplays right in, mm-hmm. in because i think on both, camera right on camera yeah i th- i think that both of these formats both this standard format and this draft format led to situations with a lot of complex lines and stuff and yeah. even very good players missed a lot of stuff yeah and boy autumn really did not <laughs> yeah i mean everything i heard about their play was pretty spot on mm-hmm. the only thing that i heard that they might have done wrong was uh, zan mentioned that uh, they saw one of their plays that was kind of like early on, and I can't exactly remember in which match or the exact scenario, but he thought that there might have been a like really tiny slight misplay, but that's you know that's not even worth. Yeah, I think yeah maybe there was like one or two like little sequencing things, but mm-hmm. as far as the plays that mattered went, they did such an impressive job of picking their spots, choosing when to jam, you know mm-hmm. when to play Tempest Jin with no no backup or uh, in game five of the finals, holding that curious obsession until turn five with with two pieces. Which turned out to be extraordinary, correct? Oh, Which they, was crazy. They yeah. absolutely would have lost the game by Otherwise, jamming that yeah. earlier and, mm-hmm. and that waiting for the extra protection. And, and they had built their deck for that game in order to maximize the odds of that happening. Taking out Tempest Jins for additional counter magic in that matchup yeah. set them up you know, not only to get more protection for that early Curious Obsession and raises the value of the Curious Obsession so you can't throw it away, but also, you know, those last couple of draws revealing a couple of Wizards retorts in a row, you know, that's how the deck was built. It was heavy counter magic at that point, and yeah. and they got rewarded for, for building the deck that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was, you know, really cool to see. Yeah, yeah, and, and the community response to Autumn winning has been awesome. You know, even outside of, you know, first non-male champion, first non-binary champion, that yeah. sort of thing, I've met Autumn, and they are just, like, super fun to hang out with. And, That's awesome. And every time you see them, like, after a tournament, they're just jamming with their friends. So, yeah, you know, Autumn just gets more games in than anybody else it seems like yeah Uh, and that's how you do it yeah i mean it it seems like that's a pretty good recipe for sure 
so yeah, uh, you know, and then uh, of course another storyline that I want to talk about is, you know, LSV got his tenth top eight. <sighs> That's so many top eights. And I honestly, you know, I've been thinking about this before, but is it might even not be as much in contention anymore. LSV's just the goat. It's hard to hard to argue with that. Yeah, he's you know having this kind of success mm-hmm. in 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 the modern era of you know the information age right. is r- ridiculous. It's impossible yeah and you know? and lsv's just doing it yep. so uh you know goat status in my mind i know that's like a contentious thing to be thrown around especially with some of our historical figures but then he just does it he he, he does them like back to back you know mm-hmm. he just has these on seasons where right they, you know, right which is the way you want to do it because you know you just like hit world's level of of pro points or whatever and yeah uh damn like can't can't really say anything mm-hmm. more than that. Uh, did it with a kind of crazy deck choice too. Just like last season, Arclight Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I don't think that that deck was good, kind of at all. You know, even in hindsight. And you know, Zan and I were both pretty excited to jam it on Arena when we saw the list. We were like, we gotta get LSV's list. There's gotta be something here. And we jammed it, and we jammed it, and we jammed it, and we came to the conclusion. It just felt bad. This is just bad. So <laughs> I I believe it might have been a one day good choice, like sure. specifically for the composition of this PT meta, and yeah. if you dodge the matchups in just the right way. Mm-hmm. So you know, Drakes did horribly yeah. at this tournament. Yeah, yeah. Just got completely destroyed, but apparently there were seven players on Phoenix, and all of them day two'd. All right. Um, so, yeah, and I agree. I don't think the deck is great, and I think it really struggles against, like, the card Hydra Crisis and stuff, mm-hmm. and it, it is pretty clunky, and we saw his matchup in the in the semis against Esper, where he just could not possibly win. Yeah. But I think, you know... In the in the universe where everybody's just playing all the spot removal they can reasonably play in order to beat mono blue and and white weenie, you just line up pretty well against all that stuff. Yeah. I I would imagine that your matchups against uh, Esper Control, mono blue, and mono white are all pretty strong. Well, so that game one against Esper Control, especially the builds with the cries of the Carnarium, is almost unwinnable. Yeah. Uh, the post board games when you have Niv Mizzet are much better. But, uh, yeah. you know, you lose so much percentage from those game ones being uh, very miserable. Um, you just have a really hard time putting pressure on through their removal, and eventually they're just Vraska's contempting you and up a million cards, and uh, you just <laughs> right. can't. That's fair. Can't do it. Yeah, I can see how that would happen for sure. Yeah. But the other thing I want to talk about in terms of just, like, the archetypes that we saw yeah. is that it sounds a lot like there were a lot of options that were reasonable, mm-hmm. which I always like as a good baseline for determining that they're, the standard's in a pretty healthy spot right now. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, I I think it's totally defensible to play five of these decks, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And the decks that are defensible all have a variety of play game plans. styles. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the fact that, you know, there's a variety of play styles that are accessible to everybody that are very reasonable choices that just, you know, can fulfill everybody's, you know, uh, you know, everybody has a, a thing that they can go to that is good and standard. Right. Which we don't always get. And, um, you know, I want to point that out while it's here. And standards seems great. I, I agree completely. The top yeah. five decks of the tournament yeah. are, were Sultai, Nexus, yeah. Mono White, Mono Blue, and Esper. So we have uh, mid-range, yep. combo, yep. aggro, tempo, and control. Like, that's literally the five types of decks you can build in Magic, right? right? Yeah. So, uh, so they did it. Yeah, they just did it. <laughs> Good job, R&D. You, this is you the did it. Uh, <laughs> right. I mean, the only thing that's, like, kind of not great is the way that the combo deck functions. Uh, you know, the combo deck yeah. is Nexus, mm-hmm. and that's pushing the format to a place where... I saw a breakdown. Uh, so one of the one of our sources for data for talking about this is that MTG Goldfish does a great breakdown after each Pro Tour slash Mythic Championship, where they go over conversion rates and and number numbers for different cards played and decks played and sort that sort of thing. So if you're interested in that kind of data, definitely go check out that article on Goldfish. Um, but if you look at the number of cards present in the tournament, 
uh, negate is number one at like 270 copies. Yeah. And then the number two card is at like 200 copies. Right. Uh, every good deck in this format basically plays blue. Yeah, even the mono-white decks right. were splashing blue for some sideboard negates. Yeah, and, and I think the the blue, the quote-unquote Azorius decks like mm-hmm. greatly outnumber the actual mono-white decks. Yeah, so. it did feel that way, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, standard's great. We had a great pro tour. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of excellent names in the top eight. Yeah. Um, just you know, good, good stuff. I mean, if we want to like break down sort of like where those decks were positioned and stuff and what we might think is going to happen going forward from here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw somebody tweet after the Pro Tour. I don't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted, uh, no Sultai decks in the top eight of this Pro Tour, no Golgari decks in the top eight of the last one. Is it time, isn't it? Is it time to admit that this isn't a good deck? <laughs> and yeah. it's not. It's, right. It's. I mean, it's not time to admit that. The deck is totally fine. Yeah, I think the deck is definitely fine. The problem, the, the deck... Those decks do, I think, have a problem with uh, winning tournaments, though, mm-hmm. where the decks are very solid, and based on pure power level, the deck is probably better than all the other decks. One thing I heard some people talking about was how the deck just doesn't really have any good matchups. Um, like, some of the matchups are fine, and I would even say that your matchup against Mono White is pretty solid, and you've got good game plans against Esper Postboard. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of these matchups are, you know, it's a pretty classic, you know, Jund style yep. archetype where you're trying to hit that like 53, 54%. Yeah. you yeah. Your win percentage is just always going to be around 55 mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think Mono Blue specifically for this tournament had so much success because some of the matchups were very strong for Mono mm-hmm. Blue. Sultai being one of those, yeah. you know? And I think Entrancing Melody specifically is just such a huge card in that deck. Yeah. That, like, who boy. It, it right. just, I, I think Sultai would be an actively pretty bad matchup for it, if, given the way people are building their Sultai decks right now. But mm-hmm. the ability to just steal, like, well, steal the creature, but also just steal the tempo of the game by taking yeah. this big thing is really powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the best target to steal all, almost always is just going to be your opponent's Hydroid Crisis. Yep. You know, they have a big flyer, and for, you know, no matter how big it is, for four mana, you can just take it and hit them. You're just casting control magic. Like, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and then you've got your Spell Piercer Dive Down backup, or whatever. Hopefully Dive Down at that point in the game, but, yeah. you know, it's good. It's good. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, Mono Blue really is definitely the deck that's going to get the most attention as a result of this tournament. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's been doing well for multiple weeks now, but yeah. it won this tournament. It put three in the top eight. Its numbers are a little bit weird. So its day two conversion was a little below the average. Mm-hmm. So our baseline is like 63% day two conversion. I think Mono Blue was around 60%. Yeah. Um, so a little bit lower, but then on day two, it was kind of crushing everything. Yeah. Uh, it's the the percentage that made like uh, 18 plus or 21 points. Uh, it was almost the best in the room. I think Esper actually did better than it, which is weird and we need to talk about. Yeah. But uh, as far as day two decks went, Mono Blue was a great choice. And I've seen people, multiple people theorizing that maybe this is because of the high skill ceiling of the deck and that the people who made day two with it were equipped to actually battle with it more than people mm-hmm. who missed day two yeah i can totally see that because the people who are making day two of the deck are you know the reed dukes the autumn burchettes <laughs> you know so i can see that argument for sure based on what we saw play out yeah uh, and it, it you know i'm sure part of it is also just that it is good against the winner's metagame yeah yeah, yeah. Um, because one of the things we did see was every deck with mountains in it just getting dumpstered mm-hmm. over the course of the weekend. Yeah. yeah, Mono Red, not a good showing. Nope. And not really on our list of uh, top five primary decks that are in standard right now. It's really not. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think one of the things is, as you said, you know, like, it's supposed to have a good matchup against Mono White, but that's only because the card Goblin Chain Whirler is a good card <laughs> against Mono White, right? right. Yeah. So Pretty much. You know, yeah. It's good against Mono Blue in that Goblin Chain Whirler is pretty good, and if you do get down more pressure than them, you can outrace them. But yeah. it's it's not that's not even I don't think that quite hits even like a sixty five percent matchup. So for being what's supposed to be like you're breaking the format by targeting that deck, I don't think it's like that good of a matchup even. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, you know, the smart mono-white players are, you know, so ready and equipped to be able to play around a chain whirler, mm -hmm. right? You're just not going to find yourself in a scenario where you're playing out um, your X1s into their turn three play. Yep. Just because, you know, if you have a venerated lockstone in your hand, you just get to wait, and then they're free and now have two toughness immediately. Yep. Um, and setting up those kind of scenarios is, like, feels a little awkward and bad sometimes, but you'll notice that you just get to the point where you just have a bunch of X2, X3 creatures, mm -hmm. and our, the, your board is way wider than theirs, and you're just easily going to be able to win from there. So. Yeah. Yeah, and the decks are choosing to run Snubhorn Sentry just anyways mm -hmm. as one of its one-drops. Like, yeah. This sort, these sorts of card choices just make the red deck like lose steadily lose percentage points. Right. Yeah. And it's not just mono-red. The, the red-black and red-green decks that we saw kind of peeking their heads out uh as as a response to the mono blue deck you know they have removal they have rekindling phoenixes that's sort of their place they also just really did not show up here yeah um, yeah and th so this new world that we're living in of uh twitch production and stuff so we had the twitch rivals event that really gave some visibility to a weirdly specific understanding of the format mm -hmm. like the the event was very heavy on Sultai, Gruul, Rakdos, and then Selesnia won the whole thing because right. it beat the the Gruul and Rakdos <laughs> decks pretty hard. Yeah. And I think it's really important to sort of see those kinds of events for what they are, which is kind of like showcases, like kind of big Twitch FNM kinds of things and not put too much stock in the, the decks that you see in that kind of event. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely fair. I am surprised that there were so few Rekindling Phoenixes running around. Yeah, that's true. Um, Rekindling Phoenix is one of those cards where whenever uh, we've played it, mm -hmm. we're always, our opponent always like tanks for a minute. And it's like, <laughs> and, and we always kind of joked about how they were probably like, oh man, this card is still legal. I didn't prepare for this at all. <laughs> and then, but then whenever it's played against us, we're like, oh no, this card's still legal. Right? I'm not prepared for this at all. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. If, unless you are playing the card... Nexus of Fate, which I guess is probably one of the reasons that yeah, I I think I think that's the the key to this format kind of is like how much the Nexus decks are kind of warping everything around them yeah um there's a reason that the mono white decks have counter spells yeah yeah and it's not to beat Esper no you could beat Esper with Unbreakable Formation right like um. And, Pretty handily, even. <laughs> I, I think it's probably better than Negate right. against Esper, yeah. Yeah. But not not against Nexus. Like, like Nexus against these mono-white decks, as long as you draw one fog, you're going to have enough time mm -hmm. to get your stuff going if they don't have counterspells. Right. But if they have the counterspell, you are dead on the spot. Yes. <laughs> so that's a big yikes. Yeah. But it, it forces pretty much all of the decks in the format... To have access to that negate that, that wins the game when you cast yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, Nexus is probably the reason that negate was the highest played card mm -hmm. um, at the tournament. Yeah. Just because, you know, it's the one card that really spells lights out for Nexus um, when played in a, in a tempo slash aggressive strategy. Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. I mean, you're you're stealing... I, I mean, ideally, you're negating the Wilderness Reclamation and you're taking their best card and you're getting a two-mana plus off of that. Mm -hmm. I think it's a little hard to see. So Wizards, when they released this data, they combined all the Nexus decks into one category. So it's a little tough to see which is the best Nexus deck, how each one performed. Um, sure. What we had was we had a very high day two conversion rate for the Nexus decks, and then they didn't do so great on day two. Um, I think they had the highest of all the decks getting into day two. But then the the gates decks kind of disappeared, and so I think the gates decks were kind of dragging down the kind of more linear uh, Nexus decks win percentage. Yeah, and if we took them out of the equation, I think we'd see specifically Simic Nexus with a very high overall win percentage. It seems like that's the one that's kind of come out on top mm -hmm. um, after you know several like a month or so of iteration on on those strategies. Is that you know, people were trying things that were pretty crazy with all these different colors, but the one deck that seems to have consistent success is the just the pure Simic version. Yeah. yeah. You just don't need 
fancy stuff. You just need all like a high concentration of search for Ascantas and chemistors insights. And yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's really all you need. Yeah. <laughs> if you have one flip search or you know one chemistors insight to start chaining, <laughs> one chemistors insight is four cards. So See? many cards. Yeah. For a lot of mana, of course, but, but um, mana's not really that, an issue. That, you're right. Once <laughs> yeah. you're there, you're there. Right. Um, yeah, so I think this is the place where you've got to... you got to know that you have a game plan against the the Simic version of yeah. the deck. Like, yeah. That's the one you got to be prepared for. Because mm-hmm. um, that's the one you got to beat to win the tournament. So some individual cards that were... Uh, kind of impressive. So uh, one one really notable thing, if you look through all of the like uh, seven plus one deck lists, there are zero chupacabras. We yeah. are on all hostage takers right now. In yeah, the people decks. people have recognized that hostage taker is so much better than chupacabra right now. Yeah. Um, there are so many cards that you can hit that give you a ton of value. It hits Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Chupacabra doesn't. It, you can cast your opponent's Hydrid Crisis, which is enormous in these super grindy matchups. Because it feels like the mirror in the Sultai decks is all about who can, you know, start chaining Hydrid Crisis first and who can cast the most Hydrid Crisis. Uh, and there are a lot of ways to be able to do that. You know, people are splurging for Memorial to Follies and, mm-hmm. you know, playing fi- all of their fine finalities and stuff like that. And this is just another way in the mirror specifically to be able to be like, all right, yeah, I can set up a way to turn this into a Hydrid Crisis that's like three more cards. Yeah, yeah. And not to mention against Mono White being able to uh, take their 2-1 flyer and then cast it immediately rather than just oh, killing yeah. it. Right. That's, that's mm-hmm. big. That's really big. Yeah. Yeah, definitely phenomenal against Mono White. Um, the only spot where Chupacabra really is preferable is kind of like when you're killing a Goblin Chain Whirler with it. Yeah. Because you can't... You, against Mono Red, you rarely have the time to like Hostage Taker. You're not, you're not going to be at 7 mana unless you're already winning. And because three toughness is not a safe place to be against mono red, they get their guy back. Right. Um, but you know, given that mono red's board plans against you are often going to include bringing in rekindling Phoenix, like there just aren't a lot of spots where, uh, where Chupacabra would ever be better than hostage taker right now. Yeah. Plus sometimes you get like a treasure map or also very key, an immortal sun. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, also not to mention that it's a two-three, which against the mono white deck is it's a lot better, super relevant. That like, yeah, that's really annoying. Right, you can't just be like as mono white, be like, all right, this was a two for one, but I'll attack in and trade with it, whatever. Mm-hmm. This time it's like, oh no, I have to, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have no good attacks anymore. All my history tokens are bricked and all this stuff. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Levy showed up and ate tude with a merfolk deck. Yes, I saw that. Um, and I was also, even earlier today, watching uh, Huey Jensen stream with it a little bit. And yeah. that was fun. How did it look? I didn't. I don't remember if Levy was on stream. He wasn't on stream when I was watching the Pro Tour at all, so I didn't get a chance to see the deck in action. So Huey was playing it in Best of Ones, mm-hmm. uh, just because he thought that it had a lot of really good tools in all the mashups. I don't think that there are any main deck counterspells, but... Uh, against the control deck, they had a pretty solid option of... Uh, it played the three-mana enchantment in the main, where uh, whenever you cast a Merfolk, you get a 1-1 Hexproof Merfolk creature. Uh, deep something... Deep Root Waters? Deep Root Waters or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. And that card really impressed me whenever uh, he got paired up against a uh, control deck. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just able to be like, all right, you know, slip this Deep Root Waters into play at some point, and then just like, you know, play a Merfolk, get another guy, you know, maybe commit another creature, but then, you know, his opponent kept on like crying and, you know, wrathing, but it just had a lot of gas backed yeah, up. Yeah, so every, every creature you draw mm-hmm. is two creatures, and every Kumena you draw is two-thirds of the yep. way to instantly drawing you a card. And those 1-1 one, one tokens are hexproof, mm. so you can't just one-for-one one yourself out of that. You, like, you know, there were some play patterns where his opponent cast down the creature, but he was just like, okay, I'll commit another real creature, and that gives me now two hexproof things. Right, and so now you um, have to wrath me, and right. I've only really spent one card into this board right yeah so that seemed pretty strong because it, it on paper it feels like you know 
Wrath and Cry of the Carnarium are super good against Merfolk, mm-hmm. and I think that that's true. But I I really like how Deeper Waters kind of played around that problem. That's cool. Um, and this goes a different direction because I've seen people building like saying, "Oh man, I just don't want these one drops. That's not the way to build Merfolk. Like it doesn't really work in standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we need to go like all value oriented and like comboy, but." That's not the way Levy went. Levy's running the full 12 one drops. Yeah. The uh, Kumena Speaker, uh, Jade Light, or Jade Bearer, I, mm-hmm. I think it is. That that gives a plus one, plus one counter. And the the mm-hmm. Adapt Guy. Yeah. I don't know any of the names. So. That's like Biomancer. <laughs> okay, the there it is. Guy, yeah. I believe. Um, and, and so, yeah, like having these super cheap guys and, you, you know, I mean, Merfolk is in standard is always going to be a Kumena deck. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty clearly a Kamena deck. It played four Kamenas and four Incubations to find. Right. Like, I'm guessing specifically Kamena. Yeah, I think it's mostly to up your Kamena. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, most of the other cards are pretty replaceable. Um, you know... Silver Girl Adept is the best of them. Yeah, Silver Girl Adept is definitely the best of them. And then you have two lore, two-ish lords mm-hmm. in the one that gives counters. And the counter guy's excellent with the Benthic Biomancer uh, right. one-drop. Um, and then, you know, of course, your Merfolk Lord is great. One so. thing that the counter guy lets you do that's really cute is lets you go tall so you don't mm-hmm. die to finality. Yeah. In particular, if you have a minute and get to put all of your counters onto a hexproof token, yeah, then yeah, that yeah. can be something that Sultai is just like really hard pressed to deal with. Yeah. Build your own um, Carnage Tyrant. Right, basically, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, that's funny. Um, yeah, and then of course, Kamina is just, just yeah, very just good. Busted, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've definitely played games against like on Arena. Just like my opponent casts a Kamina, activates it, and then I just like sit there with my chin resting in my hand. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't really think there's a way out of this for me. Yeah. You're just gonna outvalue me for the rest of the game, and there's nothing I can do about it. And the fact that you can just like tap five of your merfolks to put counters on all of your merfolks, yeah, is so good. So good. It's just game over in like three turns, kind of no matter what, if yep. you can get to that point. Yep. That I mean, that deck I think is definitely worth exploring a little more. We've probably talked um, about it more than it really deserves to be talked. Yeah, about. Yeah, maybe, but um, I think it's cool. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you can show up and eat to this MC with it, it's yeah. got to have some sort of. I was gonna. Well, I guess these merfolk have legs. We've got some land-based merfolk in, yes, in Ixalan, so yeah. it's got some legs. And it, it wouldn't be an episode of the Grindcast if we weren't, uh, you know, cheesing over green-blue cards. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I probably will continue casting mostly Hydra Crazies for my green-blue <laughs> yeah, yeah, cards. Yeah. That's fair. Um, I did invest in them, so, you know, it's hard to, yeah, hard to stop. But yeah, standard. Uh, standard's yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, we should mention um, Pyotr Glugowski's build of Sultai, which okay. goes in a different direction. So he has taken out the Explore package, and in its place is running Thought Erasures, Thieves of Sanity, and uh, at, like one Jade Light Ranger and a couple extra removal spells, I think. Interesting. Um, and Incubation Druids, actually, um, to give an, an, an actual two-drop in that package. Sure. Um, which, I think... I wonder if that's good. Yeah, and so I know Zan was trying stuff similar to that with Thought Erasures and Sultai. Yeah. Um, I think cutting the Wild Growth Walkers hurts your Mono White matchup more than you would even think it does. Yeah, that card is extraordinarily important. Yeah, and even in games where you don't have it on turn two, a lot of times you are you trade off resources and then you get yourself into a spot on turn five where the you know the mono white player is like well you can cast like Vivian or whatever here and it's fine but you cast instead you cast Wild Growth Walker and Jade Light Ranger in the same turn and you just win the game on the spot yeah and that's not fine <laughs> no it's yeah. not fine <laughs> right and cutting yourself off from that like i think you probably go from heavily favored against mono white to reasonably disfavored probably hmm. that's a big cost yeah but drawing wild growth walker against esper or in the mirror <laughs> is also a big cost yeah. So I don't know exactly where we fall on yeah. this. I, um, at this point, I think I have come to, uh, my my personal opinion is that all of the Explore creatures are broken right now. <laughs> I think that the only reason that's, or not the only reason, but the, one of the biggest reasons that this Soltai Midrange deck is as good as it is, is because it is so good at hitting all of its land drops. Mm-hmm. It's just phenomenal at it. 
you yep. know, and you you get to play these creatures that draw you additional cards sometimes, but you know, often it's you know if it's not drawing you a card, it's uh, still you know adding value in terms of scrying and stuff. Yep. I I've I think that those creature cards are one of the biggest draws to this deck for me, and kind of are pretty fundamental to my idea of the archetype mm-hmm. so you know having a different archetype entirely of okay this time we're playing thought erasure into thief of sanity yep. it's a whole different thing and it is busted in its own context i think that in this strategy i'm pretty partial to the explore creatures yeah i and i mean early on in this format i know like week one you played like Soltai control and mm-hmm. because you thought you know we go bigger than the Soltai decks but then you realized your Hydra creatures we just, were just worse. Yeah, than we theirs. just didn't go bigger than the Sultai yeah, decks. We just had a bunch of rats in our deck. <laughs> <laughs> and they just had more mana than you. Yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. that's how you win those games. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so that part of the power of the Explorer package should not be overlooked. And that's a big part of what makes the deck so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like, like clearly the Incubation Druids are, are an attempt to sub in for that role. Right. And, you know, I, I thought Incubation Druid was going to be better than it is turning out to be. It's just not quite as powerful of a card as I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, relatively vulnerable to removal and that sort of thing. The deck, if you want to do this sort of thing, may have to change other slots too. You know, you may not get to be a Hydroid Crisis deck anymore if you're, you want to spend early turns on Thought Erasure and uh, Thief of Sanity, you yeah. know, you may, the, those slots may be better served with more Planeswalkers or, you know, even more focus on that plan. Like, I think main deck duress is something that people should be looking at more closely right now. And sure. That sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so interesting stuff. We'll see what happens going forward. No gigantic surprises from the Pro Tour. These are all decks that we have known about. But. Yeah, and the honestly, the archetype breakdown was pretty close to what I would have predicted. Sure. It's just like, oh yeah, okay, these are here. Yep. And, you know, it's playing out about how I expected it to, you know, so... <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, not not in like a, oh man, of course this is what happened. It was like a, oh great, yeah, this is what we thought was going to happen. And it was right. Good. This is not Black Red winning the, the Pro yeah. Tour. This is right. a balanced format with yeah. lots of back and forth games. and Yeah. 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 So should we transition over to talking a little bit about Modern? I think we should. So uh, we played in IQ this weekend. Yep. You played Death Shadow. I did. How do you feel about that? I love the deck. Mm-hmm. It's just a blast for me to play. I love making all of these tiny little minute decisions. But it's not my top choice right now yeah. in, in Modern, I don't think. And um, why, why is that? Uh, it's just I like doing powerful things. Um, and Death Shadow does something very consistent and like potentially powerful but it's not like inherently broken in any context Mm -hmm. um so i always kind of prefer to look for other strategies that are potentially broken like you know dredge is a good example Mm -hmm. of a a deck that kind of fits the bill for top choice for me but death shadow i just have a blast playing so at an iq style event where um i think i have a lot of equity in terms of being able to play around people Mm -hmm. I think I thought it gave me a really good shot, but yeah, um, yeah. Tournament for me didn't go so great. I uh, <laughs> I actually ended up getting a game loss for deck registration error, which hasn't happened to me in a minute. But it'll get you every once in a while. <laughs> uh, our our the story is that our buddy Lee uh, was at this tournament, and he is notorious for his uh, mox opal decks. And the one that he's playing right now, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, is uh, I think we have to. Yeah, this War Prison deck that plays a lot of Welding Jars mm-hmm. as kind of like the the part of the lockout. So uh, I know that Shatterstorm is very, very strong against uh, him and his archetype specifically. So I was like, oh, it, my artifact cyborg card will just be a Shatterstorm this time. Mm-hmm. But I didn't write it down when I was initially writing down my list because I had to go and buy one from the shop. <laughs> uh, and I went and I bought one and I put it in my deck and I played round one and round two. and You know, and yeah. I never wrote it down after submitting my deck list. Um, so I, in round three, I ended up getting a uh, game loss for that and then lost that match and then lost the next match and that was it for me. But, but you know, that's all happened. And Modern's still great and Shadow's still great. So, yep. Yep. Um, I, I did read... Um, Michael Rapp won GP Toronto recently with Death Shadow, and he was running in that artifact hate slot 
uh, some instant from Shadowmore. That's one in a hybrid red-white that exiles target artifact. Shattering blow. Oh, that's from from uh, Return to Ravnica. Guild Pact or, or one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's from one of the Return to Ravnica sets. It's a Great. hybrid exile target artifact. Like not a good card, but yeah. clearly good against good at getting rid of an incinerating bridge through a number of welding jars. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in that article, he suggested maybe swapping it out for Hercules Recall for, for that matchup. Whoa, okay. I mean, I can totally see that, too. Yeah. Which definitely also beats that deck pretty badly. Yes, right. Um, but yeah, so that's that's an interesting thing, is this Artifact Prison deck. Which yeah. We've mentioned before, but uh, boy, I think it's really starting to get there a little bit. Right. Well, uh, Lee ended up winning the IQ yep. with uh, the War Prison deck, so congrats to him for that. There's another one in the top eight. Our friend Kenny also top eighted with it. Yes. Yeah, that was fun to watch. And they even played in the quarterfinals <laughs> against each other. I think Kenny was pretty confident he was not getting out of that match alive. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite part of that was, so I, I was watching that match play out, and I think it was game one, Lee, like, does a tutor effect thing, looks at the board, looks through his deck, and is, goes, uh, yeah, I think that you're just dead. <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to, like, keep up with all the things that are going on, and it's hard for a spectator in that matchup to really understand, because a lot of what's going on is they're, like, really understanding their opponent's outs, mm-hmm. and doing everything that they can to eliminate their opponent's outs and put themselves in a position yep. that, you know, wins. Um, and, you know, of course, I, I'm assuming that Lee found one of those scenarios where he eliminated all of his opponent's outs and put himself in a position to win. But it was just funny just because as a spectator, I was watching the board and I'm like, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of hate artifacts on the board. <laughs> and then and then Lee's just looking through his deck and he's like, I think I just win. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. And then, the, you know, the next, the next turn... Uh, Kenny goes, yeah, okay, and just scoops them all up. <laughs> and I'm like, what? what? What just happened? <laughs> but they both clearly know something that I don't. But, right. Um, but that was that was fun to watch. Um, and what a crazy mirror to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the list they were playing uh, specifically had Thopter Sword combo in it. Yep. Which is not a good combo in normal Magic decks. Right. But in this deck. Because you got nothing in the world but time, yeah. and you got no cards in your hand, right. and it solves a bunch of situations that your hate artifacts wouldn't necessarily solve. Seems good. It, it just seems to work really well. <laughs> One of the things that's a really big deal, I, I think the format right now is defined by a smaller number of decks than it has been in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you go to a tournament, and I think you have to expect to play against Burn and Mono Red Phoenix burn yeah uh you have to expect to play against dredge you have to expect to play against blue red phoenix and it looks like death shadow is like kind of getting up there too it is yeah and this deck is great against pretty much all of those decks and the thopter sword combo really helps bridge the gap a little bit in those really burn heavy matchups yeah so um I, i really do like this build that lee has been playing i think it's i think it's pretty powerful yeah for sure and, you know, he's clearly had a lot of success with it. He uh, he definitely knows how to cast Mox Opal pretty well, so yeah, that's always fun to see. Um, and yeah, I, I do like the position of this deck. What is it? Susurus MTG yeah. keeps on... Consistently doing well Keeps on it. posting 5-0s with uh, a similar deck. Right. He's on a Chalice version with no... Most recently, he was on a Chalice version with no uh, Thopter Sword combo. He hasn't yeah. been doing Thopter Sword at all. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I do think Chalice is also just a generally powerful card right now, given mm-hmm. the, the cards that people are playing, which is, you, you know, you mentioned this to me this weekend, is all of a sudden, Modern is just a cantrip format. Yeah, I was talking about how I was just kind of looking around the room, and there was, like, Phoenix, mm-hmm. and you were playing As Foretold, <laughs> and there were, like, some other cantrip decks, and I was like, wow, cantripping in Modern has gotten really important mm-hmm. lately, and, you know... <laughs> kind of where'd that come from <laughs> but here it is that was definitely a, uh you know definitely an interesting revelation that really highlighted how chalice of the void is increasing in power level in modern yeah um because you know i saw a surprising number of chalice of the voids at that tournament even my spirits opponent had him out of the sideboard my spirits opponent uh, we, too. We, i think we had the same, same spirits opponent, opponent. yeah <laughs> but uh it was particularly brutal for my deck that revolves around casting a zero mana spell. Yeah, that's brutal. But sure. but Chalice on one is very, very good against Death Shadow as well. Yes. So. Yeah, it was. 
Yeah, I mean, so that's, you know, it's interesting to see how modern is kind of going in that direction of kind of really leaning out into some of these cantrip decks that, mm-hmm. are, that are powerful, so. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Which, by extension, does make Chalice just, you yeah. know, it's, it's quite powerful. It can shut some people down really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we should talk about Restore Balance a little bit more. I would love to. Cool. Yeah. We've updated the deck since we uh, previewed it on our last episode. Yeah. Um, um yeah, we've tried some more things. You know, I, I we talked about trying out Simeon Spirit Guide. I tried it in a league, and I think that the deck definitely wants at least a couple of those in there. Yeah. Um, a couple of Faithless Looting has seemed very good. Uh, the big problems I have with the deck right now are, number one, that it is a three-card combo. Yes. Which is generally one more card than you want Yeah. in your combos. Yeah. And it has, in some matchups, felt like it's hard to get that together in time Mm -hmm. Um, especially because actually executing it does take a little bit of like a push through finagling turn yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. um and and sometimes you know like i played a match against tron where just Mm -hmm. like nothing they did could ever have mattered yeah 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 Uh, especially once the deck has had four remans in it which i think Mm -hmm. is very good in the deck i love reman yeah lord yeah, we, the up to four remands was was a good decision on yeah. I think on our parts. Yeah, but against some of the other matchups, it kind of felt like the deck was just so many cantrips. Mm-hmm. And even though most of my cantrips, if they didn't find me a thing I needed, they at least found me a cantrip to keep going. Right. But that like chain of cantrips several times just felt like it lasted too long. Yeah. Um, and I don't really know. There's not a good way of getting. I mean, specifically, a lot of times I was looking for that Gargadon. Yeah, because um, it's like the hardest thing to it, find. It, it yeah, Gargadon is is definitely the hardest piece because you have kind of eight copies of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, soon to be six once we cut two electrodominance. Right, um, but that's still fifty percent more than you have of yeah, Gargadon. Right, yeah, but Gargadon. The only way to find Gargadon is to draw Gargadon. Yep. <laughs> and the I looked for replacement effects for that card to play additional copies of it, but mm-hmm. there's just not the, one. It's just not the deck would just it would feel a lot better if there was a little bit more actual density of those things yeah because uh, the artificial density of cantrips you know there's diminishing returns on having quite this many cantrips in one deck right and sometimes you can find a way to you know uh make balance good mm-hmm. uh you know and oh, definitely i think that that's like the most common use of electrodominance is like you know this electrodominance is just going to be a value balance where i'm going to get you down to like two cards in hand and we're going to really try from there or whatever. Right. <laughs> but yeah, those those scenarios are definitely tough and um, not the same as having a Gargadon out. And that's definitely a line that I didn't really see um, against that Spirits opponent. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just didn't... One of my games I just didn't play particularly well and I, I, it was I didn't... such a complicated game. It was a very complicated yeah. game and it started with my opponent playing Chalice on one Chalice... Or Chalice on zero, Chalice on one. So it was <laughs> an uphill battle to begin with. Right. And since I was so focused on fighting through that stuff... Once we got to the point where I was capable of resolving a restore balance, mm-hmm. I just was not properly focused on the vast, the very giant number of different things you can actually do with the restore balance. Yep. Um, I actually didn't need to sacrifice any of my lands to the first one that I cast, and yeah. I really just needed to let it resolve as a Wrath of God. Yeah. Um, and I just like didn't quite process that with my brain. Uh, and and now, hopefully, when that comes up, I will think about it, but it was just not something that was within my <laughs> capability of deciding to do. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, if this deck does end up being really good and a lot of people play it, it's going to be, you know, it's going to take a while for the players who do end up playing it to experience all of the possible lines right you know it's just it's it's it has so many different variable lines in terms of what you can do and how you can do it yeah i mean if we get this deck to a point where we think like all right this deck is it like this deck is one of the best decks in the format and we're ready to play it and we post this deck on twitter or our discord Mm -hmm. we're gonna get a bunch of people saying how does this deck beat anything right how has this deck ever win right yeah and and they won't be wrong to have said that because they'll start playing it like a magic deck right and they'll try to make decisions as though they were playing a game of magic the gathering yeah and those decisions will probably punish them (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean um 
our buddy Josh played it at uh, the Thursday Night Modern and really struggled in the first two rounds. And then he messaged me and he was like, Collins, how do I win with this deck? And I was like, play it like show and tell. And he was like, oh, and he won the next four games that he played with it. <laughs> yep. And, and, and that was kind of fun, but, but yeah, it, it definitely has a weird learning curve that's kind of unintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to take a lot of work and, and it's also hard to get the deck into the right state while you're also learning all of the lines of mm-hmm. the deck. Cause like each of those things influences the other and it's hard to like know anything for certain at this point in the deck's development. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. But we're learning. Yep. Um, and, and we're sort of analogizing to other combo decks of the past in making some of these card choices. You right. know, Simeon Spirit Guide is the Lotus Petal from uh, Sneak and Show. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are doing a lot of that for sure. Which is, you know, it's good that we were able to. Um, but I'm sure we're also making a lot of potentially wrong decisions in our deck building theory crafting <laughs> because we also don't know all of the play patterns to the deck. Right, yet. right. So that'll be tough for sure. Yeah, and, and like... You know, how do you construct the deck to set yourself up for those value balances that aren't Armageddon's? Right. Like, what yeah. what card choices do we need to make so that that is a possibility when we're struggling to find Gargadons? That's yeah. that's a tough question to answer, and I, I'm not sure that I have the deck building skills to get there without <laughs> a pretty big team effort. Right, right, for sure. Um, but this is, I mean, I'm super excited about this just being a project that we get to work on. For, for sure. Uh, probably the next couple of weeks is we're slowly going to be able to be like, all right, I guess we'll jam another league with as we're told and see yeah. what we can learn. I mean, I'm in no hurry. I doubt, I, you know, mm. we got regionals in two weeks. If this deck is not ready for regionals, that's okay. You yeah. know? But, you know, two weeks is plenty. Two I, weeks is know. a lot of time. Um, one bit of silliness that I thought of okay. is that depending on how we construct the main deck, you can just put Manamorphoses and Arclight Phoenixes in the sideboard and then sideboard <laughs> and do a Phoenix deck. Amazing. Because are we missing anything? We have all the cantrips really. and faithless looting. Yeah. Um, what an excellent juke plan. I mean, I don't... I'm probably not, because you don't have, like, the thing in the ices to... You can put those in the sideboard as well. That's, oh, that's 12 just cards. Just full transformational sideboard. Four Manamorphos, four thing in the ice, four Phoenix, and, like, a couple lightning bolts, maybe. Yeah. That'll, so that'll I, get them. I do think there are non-negotiable spots in the sideboard, which are dispels and a little bit, and probably the abrades are actually the most important. Abrades are extraordinarily important. Um, we even considered at one point putting a couple in the main deck, which might not be wrong. Uh, Interesting. Abrades are important. Dispels are important. So you know, maybe a lot of the other the stuff ice. is kind of up for grabs, though. So yeah, um, I did like. I, actually, I missed the... I, I cut the main deck Tormod's Crypt, and I missed it pretty badly. Um, I think mm-hmm. there may be enough dredge right now, uh, and it's pretty important to locking up that win, because it's very possible to balance and leave them with nothing but a graveyard, and then their graveyard just kills you. Yeah. All they need to do is like draw a land, and so that that's a situation where just having the ability to transmute for a Tormod's Crypt you know, during your comboing... You know, you can be at, you can let them hit you down pretty low, and then if you get rid of everything in their graveyard all at once, then you will easily win. Yeah. But if you didn't get rid of their graveyard, then you're right. just going to die. Yeah. Yeah, it, it takes a surprising number of turns to actually kill your opponent after you've quote-unquote won the game. Right. And that that turn count is variable on how many counters are on your Karkaton, <laughs> which is funny because... Which is why suspending it early is actually pretty good. No, it's it's even pretty important, yeah. I think. And, you know, I was telling people that uh, you, sometimes you want to do... You want to suspend your Karkaton over casting your early cantrips, yeah. even if you're missing pieces, just because, you know... If you can, on turn three, have it only be at, like, you know, three counters as opposed to five counters, that's a huge difference mm-hmm. in, um, in, you know, how the games play out. Right. And against a lot of decks, they do, just don't really have the ability to recover because modern decks play, like, 20-ish lands and then just won't get back up there, Yeah, uh, even given several turns. Against other decks, though, they have, like, an Ether... Ugh, ether Vial is not an except. That's why Abrade is so important. Yes, Ether Vial is a beating, for sure. That that can definitely kind of spell your doom. Yeah, because they have their own Asforthold in play after you get it. <laughs> right, right, right. That's a problem. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot of modern power level creatures to tangle with a greater Gargadon. No, it does not. 
So, yep. But the deck is cool. Definitely has potential. And, I like it. And, you know, we'll keep working on it. It's a fun project for yeah. now. Yeah, definitely. Other big news of late. Oh, yeah. Other big news. We uh, we might want to talk about is uh, they've announced a new mulligan rule that yeah. they're going to try out. So they're going to test this out at GP London. Or not GP London. At, at Magic Fest London. At, at the, the, the Mythic Championship at the Magic Fest London. Yeah. Mythic Championship London. Yeah. So confusing. Uh, not really. I'm just not saying. <laughs> We're just not right. quite there yet. But so they're going to test out this new mulligan rule at, and it's a modern mythic championship. Yeah. So this mulligan rule is you mulligan to seven each hand. Yep. And then for the number of times you've mulliganed after you decide to keep, you put those cards, I don't remember, you shuffle them back in or put them on, you the, put them on the bottom. bottom. Okay. You put them on the bottom of your library. That's good. Less shuffling. Right. Um, and less potential to draw the cards that you don't want out of your hand. Right. Which is good. Worth considering. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, from the perspective of somebody who is taking a mulligan, this is strictly better yeah. than the one scry after mulliganing. Yeah. Um, you're just going to have better hands because you have a lot more options there. Yep. Um, but boy, there was quite an outcry in response to this announcement as the magic community hears change and they go excuse me (laughs) yeah so i yeah so why don't you give me your your thoughts on this i love it okay i i'm so excited for it even Mm -hmm. uh but i do want to point out that it will drastically change the power level of magic the gathering Hmm. if they decide to implement it magic will be different but that's okay in my in my mind Mm -hmm. um I don't mind it being that way because it's a universal change. It's not like it's changing things for everything. Mm-hmm. It will make certain archetypes stronger. Yep. Uh, like with the with the current Scry Mulligan rule, we definitely saw how aggressive decks got better and combo decks got a little better. You know, just like having that additional filtering, mm-hmm. um, even though it was pretty minor filtering, once you mulligan, it's just the one Scry, it still went a long way for those yeah. kinds of archetypes. This... Always mulligan to seven, but put X cards on the bottom of your library is going to be better for different kinds of archetypes. And overall, it will make the power level of, I think, just magic in general much Mm -hmm. stronger. Um, And I also expect mulliganing a seven card hand to become the new normal. I think that people are going to be mulliganing much more aggressively. uh, And for good reason. Um, And I think that decks are going to be built to utilize that. Um, decks that really rely on a single card, like Curious Obsession or mm-hmm. Greater Gargadon, you know, whatever you, <laughs> whatever example you want to use. Yeah, this um, might be a big help to restore balance. It, it could be, you know, it just like you know, three color, three card combo decks. It's mm-hmm. going to be much better for Dredge. It's going to be phenomenal for. I think Dredge um, might be just the biggest winner possible here. Yeah, because you get to because your hands are full of clunkers anyway. You get to get rid of any creeping chills or narcomibas that you draw in your mulligan and hand. Go back in your deck. Into your deck. Yeah, that's great. Which especially for creeping chill, being on the bottom is totally fine because yeah. it probably just kills them once you get to that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it certainly can. So it's going to be a big change. I mean, I guess you fetch a lot in dredge, so yeah. But yeah, right. But even better than it's the, it's, it's above the bottom. You potentially, you got a better <laughs> chance of creeping chill on them. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah. So I I expect this to definitely drastically increase the general power level of each game that plays out. Mm-hmm. And I think that once people adapt to it, it's going to be um, pretty strong. In you know, in that yeah. context, especially because they're starting off with it in a modern pro tour, that's a whammy. Well, and I think it, it's interesting that that was like a problem that some people had with it. I think that is the actual perfect place to test this. A yeah, high power level linear format mm-hmm. being played by the best players in the world. Yeah. Really stress test this concept. Yeah. yeah, and it will be linear formats mm-hmm. um, or a linear format at that time. Yeah. Uh, I just think that this new, I, I would imagine that this new Mulligan rule kind of dictates that. And I mean, that is kind of the scary thing about it. M- modern already is defined by linear strategies and haymaker answers. Mm-hmm. And while, yes, this, while it probably does power up the linear strategies and it, then it also probably increases your ability to find your haymaker answers 
But one thing that that does is potentially make the format really revolve around that dynamic even more than it already does. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the fact, you know, maybe we are sacrificing a pro tour upon the altar of figuring this out. Yeah. But that's right. honestly okay. You know, yeah. I, I don't think it's that that big of a, you know, we're going to get maybe a crazy pro tour and then be like, okay, this rule is not okay for modern. Yeah. That's fine. I do think that this rule is clearly awesome for limited. Yeah. Um, just mulliganing in limited is horrible. Yeah. Every time you do it, you feel like you're going to lose and then winning off of a six card hand is surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also think that this is a very good rule for standard in general. Yeah. It's just once you get to the more powerful formats, particularly modern, that it does get a little bit scary. Yeah. And we can even take that concept beyond modern. You know, let's talk about it in Legacy or even Vintage. Let's not talk about it in Vintage. <laughs> we can talk about it in Vintage. Uh, I'm just going to say one thing, which is I'm predicting right now that Bizarre Baghdad will get restricted in Vintage. Well, if this sticks. It should have been restricted a long time ago. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, clearly. I mean... To like this raises your I, I, somebody did the math and it raises your odds of getting the turn one bizarre from like ninety six percent to ninety nine percent. Is that actually statistically significant? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. I mean that. You know, it it does give you a better ability to get a bizarre Baghdad and you know a Golgari Grave Troll in your sure. hand. Yeah. Um. So that's that's clearly very powerful. Mm. But if wizards never makes a single competitive decision with Bazaar of Baghdad in mind, I think that is okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm happy, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in Legacy, at least, the uh, I'm, I'm, I'd am I'm be very interested to see kind of what that does to the format. Yeah. Because I would imagine that decks like Reanimator and, um, you know, a few other decks could be, like Show and Tell, of course, mm-hmm. uh, would, would get a pretty big boost for from that yeah um but uh yeah i i think particularly yeah reanimator just that the like packages of cards that you want on turn one are so well defined right that that, that's um and and i i don't know i think it will affect these things i think it will make linear decks a little bit better and more consistent but i think the extent to which it does may have been exaggerated by you know people's responses on twitter that's fair it, it maybe it is guaranteed to make dredge a better deck mm-hmm. but if it's only making dredge a two percent better deck or whatever that's not worth freaking out about yeah of course not yeah for sure so, um and but you know my overall thoughts on it is that it sounds like is going to uh lower variance in the way that games play out mm-hmm. and anything that does that in my mind is a positive direction for magic to go yeah so you know, we can speculate as much as we want on exactly what it's going to look like. But, uh, you know, if you're just looking at it under the lens of, you know, decreased variance, yeah, then, then it's I think just that that's good, a yeah. good, good thing. And, sure. and I think, you know, maybe this is conspiracy theory sort of thing or something, but probably not. Um, I do think that this is being tested out specifically because of the existence of best of one as a, mm-hmm. a, a format that they want people to play yeah yeah um yeah i can totally see that best of one seems like the direction that they're trying to push magic in to or at um, least making it a viable way to play like arena and stuff right or or at least you know introducing it as another uh format Mm -hmm. for magic yeah it's just okay now we're playing best of ones Mm -hmm. um and you know that's that seems you know fine as long as there are variance reducers in play right uh so i prefer this as a variance reducer to the like hand selection mechanic mm-hmm. because that just like changes up what decks look like because pretty, yeah pretty drastically like the existence of 17 land mono red with like four experimental frenzies in it is an artifact of the hand uh the 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 like hand optimizer mechanism right you can't play that deck in real life you'll yeah. just get mana screwed every time <laughs> yeah um I, and i mean like yeah the the fact that you can't sideboard also changes what decks look like there's a reason that they had to ban nexus of fate in best of one but it changes it in different ways like the decks of best of one with this 
um, hand refining mechanism don't really look like playable magic decks. And that's not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that being right. part of it. Yeah. And it's, you know, anything that doesn't, you know, maybe this kind of argument is going to be extinct in five to 10 years, but anything that doesn't translate that well into paper magic, mm-hmm. I'm always a little wary of. Agree. Right. And we so. can't draw two hands and compare them in paper magic. So, right. Uh, I mean, we can, but it's not, it's not true <laughs> it's the not way it goes. Yeah, right. For sure. Uh, all right, so because you know we had three solid topics today, and, yeah. and talking about the the Mulligan rule was actually also a, a pretty long topic question. Yeah, and, yeah. and also a question that somebody asked. Uh, we're going to go with a, a little bit of a lighter Patreon question this week. So Dubes asks, it's been a few months since the CCRF bomb. Will it ever make a turn, or was it a once-in-a-lifetime moment? So for those of you who are listening who don't actually know me in real life, my swearing is the, the percentage of words that are swear words that I say is much higher when I'm not podcasting <laughs> than when I am podcasting. Yeah. I think I, I believe I dropped one F-bomb when I was complaining about the number of half announcements that Wizards of the Coast tends to make. Okay, reasonable. 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 And I think I want to make sure to only use such language... For emphasis. I don't want it to lose its impact when you hear it. Like, I mean, I'm in your ear holes right now. You've got your your, your earbuds in and I'm I'm right in there. So if I'm going to swear, like, I want it to matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, come meet me in real life. If we go get dinner, like, you know, you won't even recognize... If this is how you've heard my voice the whole time, you won't recognize who's talking. This sounds like Chris, but he's just (laughs) swearing all the time. Swearing up a storm. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So yeah, well, once something of of note, and usually something negative of note, you know, uh, yeah. I, I I don't need swear words to express my excitement at Autumn Burchett winning the Mythic Championship. Of course not. We're know? all excited. About it's that. just wonderful, and yeah. I don't want to taint it with you know foul <laughs> language. Yeah, um, yeah, and you know, every every few months sounds reasonable to yeah. me. So yeah. so. Um, you know, make something bad happen, I'll swear about it. <laughs> okay, deal. <laughs> deal. Well, cool. Cool. So that's going to be it for us this week. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us. If you want to give us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or straight to our website, mtggrindcast.com. You can find links to our Patreon there. You can also find links to Collins's coaching services. And you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks so much for listening. And have a great week. Peace.